made incredible strides in a lot of acute illnesses and even some chronic illnesses. In general, we are really losing the battle with chronic illness as a country, especially, you know, we have, we spend the most on healthcare of any other country, but we're only the 34th healthiest developed country and we spend the least amount on food. So I really took a step back and said, you know, I feel like I need to use my experience. I've always grown most of my own food. So I never lost that part of Alaska. And I felt like we should be doing a lot more with food as medicine. So really having that as a first, not just prevention, which is what I think everyone thinks food is just prevention. As long as you eat healthy, you won't get sick. But I really see it as an intervention as well. And I think we have to start looking at that as a society of there's so much more we can do with lifestyle changes and food to also help our our fight with chronic illness because we are really losing the battle there. Welcome to the Schoolhouse Life Podcast, where we believe that life is a schoolhouse. Totally. We're super dorks with a passion for sharing our love of homeschooling, homesteading, natural health care, plant medicines, natural childbirth, healthy eating, meditation, creative endeavors, overall self-sufficiency for the whole family. Oh, and don't forget self-development and spirituality. Oh, of course. Key players. We hope you'll be inspired to do things you haven't, try things that could make your life better, and mostly, we want to encourage you to never stop learning and let your life be a schoolhouse too. Hey everybody, it's me, Lacey. I'm super excited to be here today with you sharing a little bit about Jennifer Maynard and Greater Greens and some of the other things that she's got going on. She has a really incredible kind of backstory that I can't wait to share with you all. And I think you're going to leave inspired and excited about the little steps and things that, that Jennifer will tell you about that you can do and incorporate into your regular routine and, and make big changes and not just your own health, but the health of the world around us. So Jennifer, before I go on and on, I would love for you to just give us a little bit of your history in terms of we, you know, you own a farm now, but I've, I've read your bio and I would love for you to share that with our listeners. Yeah. So, I mean, I've kind of gone full circle. I was born and raised on a homestead in Alaska, kind of lived off the land for the land. Um, and then I moved to Southern California and I I've been, I've lived in Germany, Switzerland, East Coast, West Coast, bounced around quite a bit. But I actually, my uncle passed away when I was maybe in middle school of HIV AIDS, and it had a pretty profound effect on me. Um, It was at a time that there was no standard of care. And I committed myself to basically modern medicine and really trying to work on cures and and benefits in that space. So I worked for 20 years in the pharmaceutical biotech arena. I was an executive in that space and I was working in specialty medicines, but as with most things, as you move up and you see the bigger picture of things, you you have a different view. And what I realized is while we've made incredible strides in a lot of acute illnesses and even some chronic illnesses, in general, we are really losing the battle with chronic illness as a country, especially, you know, we have, um, we spend the most on healthcare of any other country, but we're only the 34th healthiest developed country and we spend the least amount on food. So I really took a step back and said, you know, I feel like I need to use my experience. I've always grown most of my own food. So I never lost that part of Alaska. And I felt like we should be doing a lot more with food as medicine. So really having that as a first, not just prevention, which is what I think everyone thinks food is just prevention. As long as you eat healthy, you won't get sick. Mm -hmm. But I really see it as an intervention as well. And I think we have to start looking at that as a society of there's so much more we can do with lifestyle changes and food to also help 
our, our fight with chronic illness because we are really losing the battle there. So I left my career completely and I bought a farm and started doing regenerative farming. And then I started a meal kitting company called Nutrition for Longevity that just curates those in a very special way. We have medically tailored meals for very specific medical indications. So we can get this food as medicine movement really moving forward. So total full circle. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm like, okay, now we know everything. I mean, that's insane. It was, you have obviously talked about this before because you have it all just ready to say, and I love that because obviously it's really meaningful to you. And I, I love it too, because that whole idea of food as intervention is for sure something I don't think, I think people kind of get to a point and they're like, well, it's too late, you know, like. I'm already doing this. I can't kind of undo all of that, but there's a lot of hope in the idea that we can take what, where we're at and work from that still using just food instead of maybe thinking, oh, well, first step is get the medication. And then I can talk about my diet, right? Like, you know, maybe we can reverse that a little bit. I think that's really great. So you've always grown a lot of your own food. I'm very curious. So explain to us how you ended up, like, did your family move to Alaska to homestead or what did that look like? Yeah. So my family moved there. So they, they already had two kids. I was born in Alaska. My, my brothers were born in California mm-hmm. and they just wanted to, my father was a forestry major. He just wanted to be more in nature and they wanted to homestead. So they moved on to a 200 acre homestead wow. and we lived in a 20 by 20 cabin, no running water, a wood <laughs> stove, pretty roughing it. <laughs> Definitely uh, learned everything like to survive pretty much off the grid. And it was a great experience. I mean, it taught me so much self-resilience, reliance on um, nature. And, you know, you have to really take care of nature to be able to work kind of symbiotically with it. And like I said, I never lost that. Nature is my grounding force that keeps me, you know, where I need to be in reality. And I also think it's been a huge part of my health. I've had very little illness myself. My children, my family are very healthy. And I think that's a huge part of it. So that's why I've always, I've always made a point. Um, Even when I lived in apartments, when I moved to to Germany, I always was trying to at least grow herbs and potted plants and things because I was used to having a huge, you know, kind of biodynamic garden. And, and then I just always made sure I had something. And part of that's to connect with nature. But the other part is to have this incredibly nutrient rich food right off the plant. Yeah. It's interesting because I think what you said, you're just talking about this interaction with nature in general is a healing thing, right? Like that alone has an impact on our bodies. And then the even more intimate act of eating what we've grown or what's coming from nature in general is like, you know, I mean, it's very intimate, right? We're like consuming it. So I think a lot of times when I look at sort of the system as is, it's a that we're just twice removed, right? We're twice, we're removed from the process of growing and being in nature. And then again, from eating those foods that came from a healthful growing environment. So yeah, that all makes complete sense. Obviously you're healthy, right? That's great. So can you explain to us, like, how does your farm operate? And what is, you know, what is your goal on your farm? So we focus on quite a few things on the farm. So for me, it's also about biodiversity. So we have you know, the average farm has about two crops, we have close to 300. And we try to grow kind of very unique heirloom varieties, we try to, you know, we don't grow one type of carrot, we grow 16, you got the early season, main season, summer season, late or, or sorry, early fall, late fall, winter, um, but then we grow lots of different varieties within those seasons. And, and we just grow a lot of really unique crops. So our meal kitting company is called nutrition for longevity. And we focus on 
areas of the world where people live the longest, healthiest lives. So we take a lot of our crops that we grow are inspired by those regions. So like Okinawa, Japan, we'll grow purple sweet potatoes, we'll grow a lot of really unique varieties of okra and just different things that aren't quite as common in the US, but they're known in these areas of the world to be really phytonutrient rich, really healthy food. And we look if they'll grow well in our region. We grow a lot of Italian varieties because there's two longevity regions in Italy. And so we'll either get the seeds directly from those regions or we'll at least find very similar heirloom varieties that originated from there. And so we try to grow these really unique crops. We try to grow a rainbow of colors because mm-hmm. our diet is very focused on phytonutrients. And obviously we're stewards of the soil and that helps us um, with phytonutrient rich foods. So we try to get a lot of color in. Those are kind of the premises of how we do our planning and, and select our crops. And, but I think the real important thing is how we care for the soil. And that's what we've focused extensively on. The farm we started on started at about 1.5% soil organic matter. We're up to about six. So we're really proud of what we've accomplished from a soil organic matter, which is our biggest focus. How do we build the soil Um, obviously the diversity of the plants helps that, but we do a lot of other things as well. So we do a lot of composting. We do windrow composting, we do verma composting, and we do Johnson Johnson Sioux bioreactor composting as kind of a super inoculant for our compost. And um, so we're always adding back to the land, whatever we take off. We also really focus on keeping the ground covered. So we do a lot of like wood mulching, leaf mulching, but we also do a lot of living mulching, so cover crops. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to year round, keep the ground covered for protecting from wind, rain, UV light, all the things that can really damage the soil. We're also a no-till farm. So once we establish our row crops, the rows really don't get tilled or disrupted other than obviously if we have root crops, you're pulling those out of the ground, but everything else, we try to leave the root mass completely in the ground. We just clip the tops of the plants and we layer on top. And like I said, we do a lot of mulching to just protect. Right now, we have tons of leaf mulching. We always have lots of wood chip mulching in between the rows. And those are obviously helping build more organic matter, but also protect the ground. And then we do a lot of perennial crops. So we get those deep root, a really good deep root base in the ground continuously. So we get that thriving soil microbiome, but they also help the pollinators above ground. Like when I tell people we lost 80% of our insect biomass over the last 30 years, that's shocking to a lot of people. So we really try to build up that pollinator habitat with a lot of perennials that are native to our area. So we do lots of rows in between our crop rows. We'll do lots of perennial rows just to have lots of pollination kind of lanes throughout the farm. And then we do riparian ridge rows as well, which are bigger perennials in addition to the smaller, like, you know, purple echinacea and things like that. So lots of pollinator habitat as well. The no-tilling, the composting, those are probably our biggest practices that we focus on on the farm. Yeah, those are all, I think, little things too that people mainly can implement on smaller Mm -hmm. spaces. So we haven't gotten those details though. How much are you gardening or farming? And then also we didn't even talk about where you're located, which I think because we, we recently interviewed somebody in California and that is obviously a very different place to grow than where you're from, which is New Jersey. So we're in, um, our farms in Long Valley, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously you have more extreme weather in New Jersey. And so we have, um, we pretty much grow year round. So obviously we're growing a bit less in wintertime, but there's two things we actually do. We also have an indoor growing facility where we do aquaponics farming. 
And then, but the majority of the farm, we have 35 acres farmed. Most of that is row crops, which for a row crop farm is actually pretty large. And we get pretty pretty high yields. We get about 20 times the yield of the average farm because we do a lot of intercropping as well. So part of that is keeping the ground covered year round. And it takes a lot of work to plan intercropping and get it right. But we've been this, this last summer and fall, we really, you know, got on point with that. And it allowed us to get really good yields of the farm, but also protect the soil at the same time and keep, keep the nutrients really, the nutrient cycle really rolling. So that was a really critical thing for us as well. So we're in New Jersey. That factors a lot into how much mulching we're using and things like that because we we mulch a lot in winter just to protect everything. And then we have high tunnels as well. So we, we do some indoor growing, but we also do a lot of outdoor growing. And we see even with our tomatoes, and, and we believe obviously it's part of our growing practices, but our tomatoes lasted about a month and a half longer than any other farm around us. Yeah. And they were just thriving. They, they lived through quite a few frosts because we kind of, we, we don't always just do like one last final pick and then we just right. kind of give up on the crop. We, yeah. we see how it is resilient. And that's our biggest thing with having a healthy soil microbiome is you have to look at that plant and the holobiome of that plant and, and realize that the soil microbiome is its immune system. And so we believe when we build that up, we're building up the immune system of the plant. And we absolutely see it in the results of the crops that we get and what they survive and live through. And the really cool thing is we do stress our plants. I mean, they're under stress, but they keep producing, but we get really phytonutrient rich foods because their stress coping mechanism is they create phytonutrients Mm -hmm. and then we consume those phytonutrients and we have this healthy food. So we try to look at it very holistically in that sense of, you know, we're protecting the soil, we're building up this incredible soil microbiome and biodiversity, Mm -hmm. and then it's helping our plants cope with the stress that is, seems to be increasing in our world (laughs) with more um, volatile weather patterns and things like that. I mean, we had in September already a pretty aggressive frost and most of our crops survived that and then continued to thrive even till today. And we had about an inch and a half of snow yesterday and we still have lots of radishes, carrots, different crops in the ground that are still going strong. Yeah, I love that. That's great. And I think, you know, we, we think about manipulating the soil in order to Uh, kind of take out of it, take from it. Um, Mm -hmm. But when you reverse it, how that switches the whole equation is really sort of a powerful visual because I think we're so used to, you know, manipulating in the way that we're used to in terms of adding fertilizer or, Mm -hmm. you know, other, other tools, fungicides, whatever they might be to, to try to make the most of the soil. And what's true is the soil has all this stuff. If we just support it and I mean, it can do crazy things. So that's really beautiful. Absolutely. Do you have any animals? I'm just curious. Are there any? We do. So we have, um, we don't grow any animals for meat production, but we do have animals on the farm for the soil regeneration. So we have a few rescued goats. We don't have a lot. We only have five rescued goats. Um, My team gets a little frustrated with the goats because they escape every day. Um, They're on about five acres. That's the rule. (laughs) They're on about five acres and all they want to do is get off of their five acres just to stand right outside of the fence. (laughs) We started with goats. We thought we wanted to have a goat farm and that was the first thing that we did. We built a fence. We got goats. And then two years later, we're like, you know what? I think we want sheep. (laughs) So 
<laughs> now we have sheep. <laughs> yeah, sheep are a little a little bit more, they behave a little bit Quiet. more. So yeah. so we have our mischievous goats and then we have ducks and chickens. And so they we use a lot of that manure in our compost and um, we believe that's a really important part of our composting process. We also get a little bit of manure from uh, horse stables that are right down the street. We're in a we're in kind of an ag area and there's um, horse stables as well. And we use that as a big input into our um, composting, especially our windrow composting. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. So I actually have a question. So most of our listeners are not farmers per se. They're more mm-hmm. of on a homestead level. Yep. What would you recommend to somebody that's kind of just starting out trying to, you know, build up their soil, build up their garden space to be, to, to make this healthy food? Yeah. What would you suggest that they start with? I think there's two really important things that I encourage people to do, even if it's just like a container garden at their house, you know, I I would say start small, you know, don't take on too much because then it becomes a a burden more than a joy. And then you can always scale it. But I tell people, I think the two biggest things that you can do very easily is planting perennials all around your property. It's so good for the pollinators, but it's incredible for the soil microbiome. It builds, you can have perennials and they can grow a five foot root base as long as you leave them alone and allow them to continue to grow. And that includes perennial grasses, which are almost becoming extinct, prairie grasses and things like that. Some of them grow a five foot root base. And so if you look at that nutrient exchange, that carbon sequestration potential of that, it's huge. And then you're building pollinator habitats and overwintering habitats for healthy insects, native insects. So I encourage people to find native ones to your area. I try to never put on the farm non-natives. We have a few in there that we intertwine in with the the natives, Mm -hmm. but we try to do all native perennials and that helps bring in the native species of insects and creates habitats for them. And it's really important because not only have we lost 80% of the insect biomass, but what's happening is invasive species are starting to outnumber the native species. And that's frightening because it can really be hard to grow crops because you have all these invasive species, but also, you know, if the good insects that are doing the good stuff on our farms or homesteads are disappearing, it's impacting our food production. And so pollinator habitats, perennial hedgerows, things like that, I think are so important, even if it just means planting a few flowers at the ends of your little garden beds that you're growing. Um, And it's easy and they're low maintenance. You really have to do nothing with them. So every farmer I know, once they put them in, they're like, this is brilliant. I don't have to do anything with this crop. And even, even growing crops that are perennials, like I talked to so many people and they've never grown Jerusalem artichokes, which are a native to North America. And they are the most effortless crop other than they grow really fast and they're super abundant producers. So the biggest problem is some people are like, they're going crazy. I don't know what to do with them, Um, but they're a beautiful pollinator habitat. And they, they actually produce one of the best fibers for the gut microbiome of a human. So they produce a lot of inulin. Some people it can give them gas until they get used to it. Yeah. But that's because you're actually start small. Yeah. So you got to ease into it. But it's one of, if you look at scientific studies on inulin, which is the main thing that it produces, it's the best fiber that you can feed your gut microbiome. And most people do not consume enough fiber. So we do grow sunchokes or Jerusalem artichokes on the farm. They're a tuber. They're super easy to grow. And we probably dig up about 90% every year. And the next year there's just as many. Yeah, no, I know. I kind of want to move my patch. 
but I don't think I'll ever successfully move it. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but I do think they're an incredible crop. And if you look at them as a perennial and building up your soil and also building a, a habitat, cause they're like a beautiful um, sunflower kind of, yeah. I think things like that are really important. So that's number one, get some perennials out there. They're low maintenance and, and you just get them going and they start to thrive and then you can split them up and share them with neighbors and mm-hmm. do great stuff with them. And then the, the second one I would say is just the composting and mulching. So I, the one thing that drove me crazy when I moved to New Jersey is everyone rakes their leaves up here oh, and they put them in yeah. trash bags. Yes, they're burning <laughs> like, right now. I'm like, burning it. That is the nutrition of the soil. It's so present. Yeah. And then they're like, I don't know why my lawn is so right. like oh. dying. And, yeah. and we do nothing to our lawn and it drives my neighbors crazy because we yeah. do have a, a lawn area and we do nothing except mow it. And, but we let the leaves actually just decompose on the lawn. Yeah. And they're like, why do you never rake up your leaves? I was like, cause I want my lawn to look beautiful and not spray chemicals on it. So I think that's um, awesome. And you can get so many free resources with mulching. So we get wood chips from the landscaping companies. They bring them on our farm. They drop them off. It's free. And we mix that into our compost. We also use it in between our rows. So we don't have as much weed suppression anywhere that we lay down a good, amount of like six inches of, of wood chips, we have very little weed pressure, which is great. And then it absorbs water too. So you have a lot less flooding and things like that. And then we also in fall, we get a lot of these leaves that people are essentially throwing away. Right. We just have them on our farm and then we move them around where we want them. And things like garlic, I mean, if you're not growing garlic, you should, cause it's such a low maintenance, incredible crop. Yeah. It takes a long time, but if you have space, it's one of those things, if you do it right, you can plant it and just walk away until summer the next year. Mm-hmm. So we plant garlic and then we put about six inches of leaf litter on it. And then you don't have to worry about the weed suppression. It creates almost like a really strong plastic mulch, but it's with, with natural leaf litter. So that's the second thing I would recommend is just lots of mulching, which becomes a natural compost. It eventually breaks down and you have all sorts of great things start to thrive in that environment. We get all these beautiful mushrooms and fungi and things like that. And then we're just always layering on top. So the next year we'll add another layer Mm -hmm. and it's great. We don't have hardly any well, we really don't have flooding on our farm and New Jersey has a lot of, it'll, it'll be no rain and then obscene amounts of rain all at once. Mm-hmm. And our farm doesn't flood. All the farms around us, like last year, they lost their pumpkin crops and things like that because we had so much um, moisture and rain. Right. And a lot of the conventional farmers came over and were like, what are you doing? Yours are, you don't have powdery mildew. Yeah. And it's because our water was actually being absorbed into the soil very quickly and then retained there for when the crops actually needed to have that moisture. So yeah, those are the two things that any size garden you can start to do. You don't have to have a huge farm. In fact, it can get a little bit challenging actually with a large farm. Um, But that I've always done that, whether I had just a small container garden or I had a really large space and most like my garden now, I still have a garden now. It's about a quarter acre, even though I have a farm five minutes down the road, I just like to have direct access as much as possible to my food. Yeah. I think close proximity. That's another good tip. Honestly, is yeah. you want it to be as close and easy to access as possible. So yeah. uh, for most of us, that means, you know, plant it right outside the back door, you know? Yep. And that's what I do. My, when I moved on to, I live on just five acres now, but it's the perfect size being that I have a farm to take care of right, right down yeah. the street. <laughs> 
And, um, and I carved out about a quarter acre right outside of uh, my front door. And that's just because I wanted herbs that I could just go out and, and pick. And it's, it's been great. Yeah. Then I got pigs and the pigs figured out how to jump into my oh, no. raised beds. <laughs> They're almost as bad as goats. <laughs> I know. I've learned this. <laughs> you don't know. Nobody tells you. Like I know. I know. So they're great. We love them, but they're also, uh, they get quite mischievous yeah. as well. <laughs> well, it's been so fun talking to you. I hope someday we get to meet in person. But before we go, there's one thing I like to ask everyone. And that is just, what's one thing that you do to kind of relax and make yourself kind of feel good? Because I know farming can be stressful, no matter how enjoyable it is, it also can yeah. be high energy. So what's something that you do to just take care of yourself? I, I mean, I try, I, I actually enjoy, even though it can be stressful, I, anytime I can be out in the field and just like look up and appreciate what's around me. But I also, I try to meditate. We actually carved out a little in one of our cover crop fields, we carved out a little circle to just do meditation and yoga. And we had people come and do yoga on the farm and things like that. And it just, um, you know, I think it's important to have that space. And I think it's important also as a farmer or a homesteader, you do have hard times and you can get burnt out. And I think it's important to have a place on your farmer homestead. That's kind of like a sacred space that you reappreciate that land. Cause it can be hard on you. Oh <laughs> and you're like, why so am much. I doing this? Yes. I know, love um, so, much. so I loved having a space that just, I could even just lay down on the ground and just be like, it's going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Cause yeah. I think everyone has their challenges and, you know, we had, um, you know, a fox take out a bunch of our chickens and it's just frustrating. You're like, oh, I just raised all these chickens and now they're finally producing eggs. And that's just was a really nice thing for me to be able to just ground myself and remind myself why I'm doing this and why I love it and why it's so special. And so that's the one thing I, I always recommend to people is just do it on your farm and make it a place that you remember to go there if you're having a tough time and just be like, this is why I'm doing this. And this is why I love it. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love it. Okay. So before you go, how can people stay in touch with you and what is your website and all of that business? We'll put links in all of our show yeah. and everything, but we'd love for you to share that with our listeners. Yeah. So you can find us at nutritionforlongevity.com and any social media around that. And it talks about the farm and it talks about the meal kidding. And we do a lot of education on food as medicine. So what are healthy crops to grow? What are healthy crops to eat? And, and that's probably the easiest way. And then I, you can easily find me through there. Just Jennifer Maynard. Um, I have my own sites as well. Okay. Great. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jennifer, so much for joining us. I can't wait to share this episode with everyone. It was really fun. And thank you for having me. Tons of great info. So we'll talk soon. Bye.